Hello, and welcome to the Homewrecker Podcast. I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion, joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, amazing, gorgeous, trophy wife, Monique. Monique, how are you this week? Hello, I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. We're coming into some eerie music. It's very creepy. Which, unfortunately for... The people on video, they're not going to be able to hear it. Nope. But. You can imagine it. Just imagine some eerie, creepy sounds. Ooh. And they're gone. (laughs) Just like that. Just like that. So this week, we're going to be talking about something that is a little creepy, Mm. I guess, depending on how you look at it. It's a little weird, if nothing else. Some would even say it's a little terrifying. We're going to be talking about the men in black. Oh, so not like the Will Smith not movie, the Men in movie. Black. No, not the no, movie. No, no. Okay, so no Will Smith, no Tommy Lee Jones. That no. is scary. No, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> talk about the actual Men in Black that the movies are based off of. Yeah, when you read about the actual Men in Black and mm-hmm. you see these documentaries where they talk about it and John Keel, they're creepy and they're weird, and then. The movies, they portray them as these fun-loving people who sacrifice so much. That's Hollywood for you. Mm. That's Hollywood for you, right? Putting their little spin on it. Yeah, but I, I want to address before we get into The Men in Black, something that's a little bit related. We talked about The Mothman yes. last week, yes. and there was something important that you forgot to mention last week's episode. I so totally, let's talk about it now. <laughs> I totally forgot. The episode before with time travel... I mentioned that I was meditating and something came up with the Mothman. And I'm like, oh, we'll talk about it in the next episode with Mothman. And I totally, totally spaced it. So I apologize. We'll get to it now. Yes. I was meditating and I meditate. I use my crystals and sometimes I get visions. And one of the visions I had was of this being kind of entity. It felt like something from the earth, more elemental. And it was it was just kind of weird looking. It looked kind of scary, but I didn't feel scared at all. And we were watching a Mothman documentary and they had like images of what people said Mothman was like. And one of the images, I was like, oh, that looks like my vision. It's not 100%, but about 95% close enough to what my vision looked like. And I thought that was so bizarre that I saw this thing and there's something that, oh my gosh, if I had to explain it, that would be perfect. It was crazy. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty interesting because we're laying in bed watching this documentary and you're like, that's, that's what I saw. Yeah. Weird. It is. But all right. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned it. We're, we're, we've we've tied up that loose end yes. from, Sorry from about last that, week guys. that you forgot to mention. Yeah, no, it, it happens. It we happens. get so caught up. It happens. But this week, we're going to talk about the Men in Black, like, mm. we, like we said before. And before we do, there's something else we don't want to leave people hanging with. What's that? We are going to go on a paranormal investigation and we figured out where it's going to be. That's right. Yes. Would you like to tell everybody where we have decided to go? We have decided to go to the Chapman Inn in Bethel, Maine. This is the house that 
uh, it's allegedly haunted by a young girl and her companion. And I did a little more research. This inn does have information. They're one of the only places that lists information about come meet our spirits on their website. And they talk about the history. And it is the companion, the woman who took care of her. She lived in that house until she died. Was she the woman in white that went shh? Possibly. It doesn't say that. Okay. Okay. But. But that's the place we're going. Yes. That is where we're going. story happening at that place. Yes. So we are going at the end of February. So keep, keep an eye or ear out. And so you can follow along. We'll do some live streaming while we're there. We'll record an episode while we're Depend- there. Depending on the internet. <laughs> yes. Depending it's on the Wi-Fi. all depending on whether or not we can get a good signal on the yes, internet. But yes. yes. And we'll record a podcast there. And yeah, it should be we'll fun. let you know if anything happens. We've had some- Or you can see it happen- Live, possibly, yeah, Maybe. real time. If, yeah, who knows? You never know. And, and this is obviously our first time doing this, with In this recording and yeah. everything else, and it's just us. Yeah, we've we, done paranormal investigations before the two of us, but we've never put it out there for everybody. So Not, not only that, but we're going to have podcast recording equipment, yeah. and it's just us. We don't have anybody coming to help or set things up. It's just us. So yeah. we're going to be doing the recording, doing the investigating, looking around, trying to talk. Just something else. I know. So we figured out now where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And that is going to happen, like you said, at the end of February. Mm-hmm. So it should be exciting. It should be fun. I'm super excited. Yes. It's going to be a good time. Yes. Now are you ready to dive into the Men in Black? I am so ready. Okay. Let's dive. All right. I've I've done a lot of reading on this in the past week and a half to just kind of gear up and get ready for this show. And there's so much still that I want to get into, but I obviously didn't have the time. I've got, what is this? One, two, three, four, <laughs> five books that I haven't read yet. And then and a couple right here. Two here, one that I'm into, getting kind of halfway through, and another one that I did complete. So... We're going to just mention the ones, obviously, that I've, I've gotten a chance to read from. But there's so much material out there. Obviously, there's websites. There's People have done documentaries, documentaries mentioning them and yeah. different things from different people, different theories. There's three movies. Is it three? No, four movies. There's four movies. Yeah. Four movies. But they, but they have nothing to do really with what the actual real no. phenomenon is. Well, there's the first one, second one, third one, and then international. Yeah, I think there was a TV series too, wasn't there? Wasn't there a TV series? Was it a cartoon? I I think there was a cartoon TV series. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in and we'll talk about a lot of people with the whole Men in Black mythology, the the legend of the Men in Black, the history of it, the phenomenon, whatever you want to call it. The first time that it really kind of came into the modern public consciousness. Back in the 50s, there was a guy named Albert Bender. He actually wrote a very famous book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. In it, he talked about his encounter with three mysterious beings dressed in black that visited him in his house. They just kind of materialized in his room and visited him and threatened him not to look into UFOs, to 
back off on his research. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the first real case that came became public, I guess, and and was thrust into the public consciousness. And at the time, UFOs were getting spotted pretty regularly in the United States, around the world, really, but in the United States. And, of course, you had Hollywood that was putting out the, the alien movies mm-hmm. and the flying saucer films. So that was kind of starting to seep into the public consciousness. A guy by the name of Gray Barker, who was a UFO writer, researcher, he published a, a UFO magazine, uh, excuse me, newsletter. Mm-hmm. He actually talked to Bender and helped him with his book. Some say that he actually told his book to Barker and Barker wrote it, but the cover, or, or he was, you know, Bender got the credit for writing it, but it was actually Barker that did all the work for him. That was really the first time that anybody knew about these men in black. Now, after reading and researching through the book Casebook on the Men in Black by Jim Keith, he talks about how men in black have been cited throughout history, not necessarily with the top hats and the and the, the you know the suit coats and the suit jackets. Wasn't but, it like? But always they looked like they didn't fit in. Was that what it was in his throughout history? Yes, and the the dark figures, as they've been called in different texts, in different throughout history, different accounts that have been captured. I guess is the best way of putting it. Yeah, they always seem out of place. They are wearing dark clothing, sometimes with a hat, sometimes in dark robes, but usually in black. These figures are in black and universally across the board in whatever religion, whatever culture, wherever you see, whatever lore that they show up in, typically ominous and they have that sense of not belonging, like mm-hmm. you said, but also that sense of just darkness and evil. Like they, they're yeah. not... They're not good. They don't their give essence you the warm is fuzzies. not good. Right. Mm. You get that sense of dread, foreboding, just kind of a terrifying almost feel because, again, they're not, they don't appear normal. Now, there's different descriptions. There's different descriptions. Universally, they're wearing black, but sometimes they're wearing a hat. Sometimes they are very pale skinned. Sometimes they're reported as being hairless and that when i say hairless i mean no eyebrows no eyelashes no hair on the head no like hair anywhere alopecia. Like, they are sometimes reported as being dark skinned and dark complexioned sometimes they're reported as having oriental looking eyes descriptions vary but the constant is always the black clothing they're always in black now when John Keel was experiencing his Men in Black sightings mm-hmm. and, and all of his different encounters in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. He was seeing stuff and, and getting phone calls and things like that, but so were other residents in the town. Yeah. You looked like you were going to no, say well, something. No, well, I was just, I don't want to cut you off, but I was just no, thinking okay. about what he was saying. But he was saying they dressed up in like the Air Force, like uniforms. They pretended to be other people. So there are accounts where it's thought these could be men in black, but they're not always in black. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Well, th- well, that's the thing. The, the, some accounts, especially the more modern ones, we'll say from 1950 on, 
the belief is that they are with the government because sometimes they'll even state to the people they're talking to that they're with the government, that they're mm-hmm. with a government agency yeah. or a secret agency. They'll actually say that. So that's where people get that idea from. However, the government actually released a press release and Keel actually published it in the Mothman Prophecies stating that there were people going around and impersonating Air Force officers. This was a memo that somehow Keel got a hold of and it was it was like an internal memo released to the Air Force personnel to be on the lookout for these people that are impersonating them, basically. Now, interesting thing about that memo, which I didn't tell you, because obviously I, we didn't really talk about because it. Because we never talked to each other yeah, other never, than yeah, we, on this podcast. We never talked to each other. But no, I actually came across this fact this morning, as a matter of fact. There is a belief that that memo that he published in the Mothman Prophecies was actually something that Gray Barker wrote. He managed to get his hands on some Air Force stationery, some yeah. letterhead. Like, and I think he, everyone knows that. And he... I'm just messing with you. <laughs> His face. I love you. You done? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, I, again, last week I, when I when I read through the Mothman Prophecies book and I and I showed you all that stuff, I'm thinking, oh wow, look, they even have. But now it comes out that it's and again, Gray Barker has passed away. John Keel has passed away. They're no longer with us. Allegedly. So so it's hard to say that. Well, you, no, you know, I mean sure allegedly. This is but, this other thing is but alleged. This other thing, not that they passed away. Right. Oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. Because I'm like, what are you talking about? Allegedly, yes, they passed away. They're dead. They're not here anymore. They passed away a long time ago. I was waiting for What's you to get to you? what you were talking about because I was trying to throw in allegedly this hat. This was a the guy got all right. His so hands anyway, on Air Force stationery. Okay, so he got, so allegedly this guy Gray Barker, yes. this guy, got his hands on the stationery, typed up this letter. And, and got it to Keel somehow because Keel never says how he came in possession of it. At least not to my memory. I don't recall him saying that he, it was mailed to him or anything like that. There, there is the, the caveat to that story that it was possibly a hoax. And also, Keel was considered by the people that were in the UFO research community back then, he was considered an outsider because he, his background wasn't really in that kind of stuff. He just kind of stumbled into it, I guess. This is the way I heard it relayed through a couple of different sources mm-hmm. and a couple of different things that I saw and read and heard. So he was, the, the guys that were kind of on the inner circle of this research community took pleasure in throwing back a couple of drinks and prank calling him and just playing pranks on him. So a lot of the phone calls he talks about in the Mothman Prophecies where he'd get a phone call at you know three in the morning and there'd be strange beeps and sounds and heavy breathing sometimes on the other end of the line. And, you know, he'd say, hello, who's there? And nobody would talk. A lot of that was Gray Barker and another guy, another famous ufologist, UFO researcher, publisher at the time, Jim Mosley. And these guys were legendary pranksters and hoaxers. Now... They did actually research this stuff. They went out. They talked to alleged UFO contactees. They they researched the sightings that people had, different paranormal events and things like that. But they were also notorious for hoaxing a lot of things as well. Now, there's one actual famous story. Along, uh, just, just a quick sidetrack. Mosley actually one time, he and Barker were drunk. 
and they called a local sheriff's department to talk about how, or I think it was it was, what's going on with the lights over the, some lake or wherever they were, and there's a there's a there's a there's a craft with something hanging from it or something like that. He just made up this story to the police, and 20 minutes later, the police were out investigating and saw what he was talking about. Just a weird thing. What was that? Like, how did that happen, right? So anyway, that's just like a kind of a, a weird side story that I figured I'd toss in there because I thought it was pretty interesting. But these guys were notorious pranksters. They would do this kind of stuff just to amuse themselves and probably because, honestly, a lot of the stuff that they were investigating, a lot of the sightings, a lot of the claims people were making were probably not very credible and they just were having fun. That's one way to do it. Yeah, so so a lot of the stuff they did was hoaxed. So a lot of the stuff with Keel, now that I'm reading a little bit more about Gray Barker, finding out a little bit more about him and some of the stuff that he was involved with, Jim Mosley and people like that, I'm starting to question some of the stuff that Keel was writing about. Well, what's hard is what can be true for you isn't true for somebody else. So if you're experiencing these things, but it's all or part of it is a hoax set up to make you think a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. It did happen to you. It's just set up through somebody else, not what you think it was. Right. So. And and kind of. You can't really discredit. Well. John it, Keel. I, I, I'm not. And it's funny because it and ironic, I guess, in a way, too, because Keel at the beginning of his book, at the beginning of the Mothman Prophecies, talks about how Beelzebub came to Point Pleasant. And how he was talking about, yeah. yeah, he gives the story about how a man, a strange man with longer hair and a beard was walking into town late at night, knocking it's on doors. It's the devil. It's the devil, people were saying. It's the devil. The devil's here, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They, they, they all had this sense of dread when he was knocking on the door. And two or three weeks later, a couple that had given this story of the man knocking on their door and de- demanding to use their phone to come in, or I'm sorry, asking to use their phone to come in, they ended up dying in the Silver Bridge collapse mm-hmm. in Point Pleasant. Keel mentions that he was the guy knocking on the door. He was the one whose car broke yeah. down in the middle of the night. He wasn't from around there, so he didn't look like the people from that area. And he was out three in the morning. He's walking around. It's raining. It's car cold. Down. Car yeah. broke down. He wants but to use the phone. You just brought up something that I was going to bring up too. We talked about it with Mothman. We, you said it with the men in black. People get this sense of dread, yes. this fear. And I mentioned before, could it just be because they're scared because they don't know what it is? Could it be that whether it's something in their own mind they're afraid of because they don't know what it is? Like with these men in black, they're strange people. Like people freaked out about Keel knocking on their door and they thought it was the devil. Could that be why they're getting this feeling of dread? Or could it be because they have this kind of imposed theory, especially once these men in black stories came out and these UFO stories came out and became more popular, people just think, oh no, this is what I should be afraid of. Is it almost like a programming that they should be afraid? But maybe there's really nothing to be afraid of with men in black. And is it a sense of fear because they're just different? And so people fear what's different. And that's why they're getting the sense of fear. And I brought that up before when we talked about Mothman. Is it maybe there's nothing really scary about Mothman, but because it's different, that's why people get so afraid. Or is it because maybe with the men in black, stuff about UFOs is getting out and that is the kind of stuff that's starting to scare people. They're... 
the propaganda of it is putting fear into people. So when they see, oh, something that could be different, is this an alien? Is it a men? Is it men in black? And is that why they're becoming afraid? What does that mean, the propaganda of it? So you had mentioned around this time stuff started coming out, like in the 50s and 60s. Oh, you're talking about like movies? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So out in the media, if you will, news stories, movies, radio. And then people see something or they hear something or they hear a story. And then they think they come across someone who's weird looking. And they think, oh, no, it's men in black. And they become afraid, even though there's no real reason to be afraid other than what's just in their head because of it being different maybe but i think that the reason why a lot of people get scared or afraid is because of the things that these beings these men in black tell them or ask them they so they have a reason not just how they look but also the way they act and what the stuff that they're talking about the stuff that they're saying so this fear so going back to keel And why this whole story with him, why I said it's a little ironic because he mentions this exact same thing happening to him and him being the cause of people's paranoia. That's why I was mentioning that because it's ironic that he wrote that and then come to find out he was actually getting messed with as well. And the stuff that he was writing down as fact has, I mean, geez, even myself, I was perpetrating it as something that happened factually to him and it was a supernatural occurrence, something that wasn't explainable. And then a week goes by and I read something else and I find out, oh, wait, actually, no, they were just messing with him too. So it's one of those things, where do we draw the line of what's real and what's fake? What's What actually happened and what was something that was just a, a hoax or yeah. something that was manufactured? The problem with a lot of this stuff is you have a lot of people from different backgrounds same thing with ufo same thing with with mothman you have people from different backgrounds a lot of people that wanted to remain anonymous when they were making these claims a lot of people that were giving just details that i don't know it just seemed to me like a lot of the stuff a lot of the stranger stuff it seemed just too weird and too abstract to be made up just some of the stuff and then when you find out some of the things that happened afterwards where people had these experiences or or were even i guess given predictions by the men in black that something was going to happen or they would get these these premonitions about things and then those things would actually take place and occur makes you go huh i wonder what was to that i get what you're saying but I think that the terror and the foreboding and all that kind of stuff didn't happen for everybody right off the bat. But once they talked to them and started noticing some of the things that were strange about them, like there was a couple of stories where one of these guys would walk in to, and this this was a Point Pleasant story. Mm-hmm. So this happened in West Virginia around the time of the Mothman sightings where this guy dressed in black, pale skinned, walked in, sat down at a diner, ordered some Jello and tried to drink it. He didn't know how to eat Jello. He had no idea. And the waitress is kind of looking at him like, what's wrong with this guy? But the, the way it was described when the story was retold was that she just kind of was watching him and observing and just seeing how peculiar he was acting. And and he ended up not having the Jello because he couldn't figure out how to eat it. It's Jello. Yeah, and there was I a mean, story about that where he got a steak and he didn't know how to eat it. And the waitress uh, yes, helped that was, him. Yes, that was yeah, another one, right. 
There's so it makes me wonder, so what do they eat? Makes you wonder, are they actually people? Are they perhaps inhabitants of the UFOs that get spotted around the time that they make their appearances? Are they from inner Earth? Maybe. I don't know. We don't know. Mm. Where do UFOs come from? Are they coming from another planet, another dimension? Are they coming from inside the Earth? Are they coming from underwater? We don't know. Maybe they're coming at us from all angles. Yeah, yeah, possible. But that's, again, why I think the terrifying aspect or the scary or odd or frightening aspect of these things, this is why people will, will make that claim because of the things that they say or some of the things they do and how they act. It just doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem right. And they get that sense just because of what they're seeing and what they're being told. You have a couple of the men in black have, again, they, it seems commonplace that they'll show up now, not always, but most of the time they'll show up to somebody that has witnessed or seen a UFO. They tend to show up if this person has gone public with their sighting. So if, say, for example... I saw a UFO, I did. But if I went out and started going on the radio and talking about it, my probability of having an encounter with one of these beings, according to history and according to the patterns that we've we've seen, I would probably get a visit from somebody. But we did see UFOs, each on our own uh, different occasion. And we talked about it on our podcast. I think it was our very first podcast. We didn't get visited by any men in black. We haven't been visited yet. So again, people that have a UFO sighting, see something and then go public with it. I, I presume nowadays the the comparison would be if they went on social media and had like a million followers or something and they started talking about it, they would most likely get a visit from a man in black. Their probability of getting that visit or sighting of one or having some kind of an encounter would go way up just because they're drawing so much attention to their sighting. So is there anyone who's come out recently saying they were visited? Nothing that I've come across. Nothing that I've come across. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of like, what are they? What causes them? Did they really show up? Now, there are pictures that people have taken. So there, there are some photographs. But again, in a book by Gray Barker, a notorious prankster. So how legitimate is that? I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? So I don't know, but we can go by some of the stories that people have said. And again, not people like Gray Barker, but people like diner waitresses and people like that that have given their reports to newspaper people, to authors like John Keel, to, you know, called into radio shows and things like that. We can go by some of their different reports and see okay, is there some validity to their claims? Is what they're seeing actually a person? Is it a government agent? Is it something else entirely? What is it? We don't know. What I question is, why does it seem like they want to cover up this stuff? Yeah, see, that's the that's the problem too. And where a lot of them identified themselves to their contactees, I guess, is, is a good word for them. They identify themselves as being from a government agency. Mm-hmm. They won't say which in a lot of these encounters, but they'll say we're from a secret government agency. We know, we understand you're looking into UFOs or you've seen a UFO or you've been talking about seeing a UFO. You need to stop this entirely. You need to stop this immediately. You need to stop this right away. 
just the the things that they say and yeah. and um, sometimes they'll make veiled threats it's just strange i like, just i'd be like why what's up you would be like why what's up i, I know you would grab a bottle and smash it over their head or something that's that's how you are you're tough no i'm just saying i i want to know why i'm truly curious right, right, that, right, i'm not trying no, to say because i'm so tough and i'm not afraid i just would want to understand why like why what is going on right and and now like, is there something wrong let me let me i'll read a story i'm not going to read the entire thing I'll, I'll read just like little bits and pieces of it here from the uh from the book men in black the secret terror among us by gray barker a gentleman by the name of joseph henslick of green long long island new york october 1966 he looks outside, he sees a strange circular object hovering directly over the post office building not too far from his home. He grabs his camera, he's got a whole roll of film, and he shoots a sequence of pictures of a luminous metallic disc with a windowed dome on top. Since the object was very low, he was certain that he had obtained some sensational pictures. He ends up taking them to the Photoshop, he gets them developed, and about a week later... He gets his pictures and he sees, oh yeah, I was right. I got some great pictures. Two days after the negatives and prints were returned to him, Henslick was visited by a pair of strange men. He was returning home late from work about 3 a.m. when he found them waiting for him. Both were of medium height with deeply tanned complexions and dark hair. Both were dressed in baggy black trousers with black turtleneck sweaters and loose black jackets, which he described as looking like black smoking jackets or pajama tops. We want to talk to you about your sighting, one of the men said in a voice with a slight accent which sounded Scandinavian. We're from the government. Henslick asked them for credentials, but they told him they were from a secret agency which they were not allowed to name. They went on to tell him certain facts about himself which astounded him, facts that not even his closest friends knew. I wonder what those kind of facts would be. We know that you've taken some photographs, the men continued. And we want you to turn them over to us for the sake of yourself, your family, and your world, and as a good American. The flabbergasted young man decided to stall and told him he had not gotten the pictures back yet. He was told they'd be back in exactly 24 hours and that he had better have the pictures available for them at that time. So there's a veiled threat that they're making, right? Henslick remembered that one man had a scar on his left cheek while the other had an identical scar on his right cheek. Kind of strange. The next day, he was looking over his pictures carefully with a magnifying lens, and he said there were definitely some markings on the object that he'd photographed, but they were too fuzzy to read. He stated, quote, if I could have blown the pictures up, I probably could have made out what they said, end quote. He also says he noticed some kind of large shadow moving up and across the windows of the craft in the final frames of the film. At 3 a.m. the following morning, what is it with 3 a.m.? The three men appeared now, all dressed identically. Again, they threatened him vaguely when he appeared reluctant to turn over the pictures. He finally gave them both the negatives and prints. They checked the negatives carefully with a flashlight and then warned him sternly to keep quiet about his sighting. When they left, he did not see any vehicle, although he lives on the outskirts of town and a vehicle would be necessary to visit him. In the months that followed, Henslick learned of Gray Barker, and claims that he wrote Barker six letters, none of which were ever received. 
Finally, after coming across Barker's book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, in June of that year, Henslick decided to call Barker. The day after he spoke to Barker on the phone, he received a threatening phone call from an accented voice which warned him never to speak to Barker again. He also began receiving the standard hoax calls regularly with electronic sounds or nothing at all on the other end. Henslick spoke to Barker again in late July and again got a threatening call. In the meanwhile, he had sent Barker two more letters. One envelope contained a letter and the other, which he sent by certified mail, contained a detailed drawing of the UFO as he remembered it. Barker received only the letter, but it had apparently been opened by someone and then resealed with scotch tape. The other envelope, the one which had been certified, had still not reached Barker as of this writing. What's up with a lot of people saying these men in black have accents? That was another thing that I forgot to mention before. Yeah, that's another weird characteristic of these guys or things. Yeah, they have accents. Yeah, kind of strange. So I don't know what exactly that means, but that right there is an example of somebody that he didn't really publicize his sighting, but he took pictures of Mm -hmm. it and they were good pictures. And then all of a sudden at 3 a.m., you've got these two guys showing up with identical scars on opposite cheeks from each other and making these threats. Now, he did what you what you probably would have done. He stalled, but he didn't go out and make copies of his damn pictures. But But he gets a visit from three men the following night, all again dressed in black, and they're carefully inspecting the negatives in the pictures, and then they take them away. And then now, all of a sudden, this guy, he comes across Gray Barker. Now, this is the part when Gray Barker gets tossed into it. I got a question. How much of it really happened and how much of it well, was Well, this him? guy's getting these phone calls, and it's just kind of weird. Like, okay, so... The phone calls with the electronic sounds on the other end or the heavy breathing, those are very common occurrences of, of, among people that have made these but reports. Is it a prank or... It's hard to say. Now... What what are the like? What's the likelihood of Gray Barker knowing every single person that's had a Men in Black encounter and making prank calls to them? But he said that the guy called him, right? Yeah, spoke yeah. To him, yeah. So he has the number. So, he could so very easily say, "Oh, I'm going to prank it back." He very easily could have this particular guy, this yes, guy, this guy, ab- absolutely. But I'm not saying everyone. I'm just saying this. Particular oh, okay, yeah, case. yeah. But I mean, think about that. How many people made these claims? They made the claims to John Keel, who had it happen to himself. Now, again, Barker was most likely the guy that was doing that to Keel, most likely. But other people that Keel was talking to, I mean, I don't think he shared every single interview or contact info that he had with people with Gray Barker. I don't think he gave Barker his notes on everything. I mean, I'm sure they must have compared notes here and there, but I doubt that people who he'd sworn confidentiality to, he would have broken that trust. I mean, back then, journalists had integrity. So I don't know. And the other bizarre thing, too, is just how he mentioned that these men in black knew things about him that no one else knew. Yeah, that's the other part of it. And and that's the part I wonder, like, what? Like, when you say that, what what exactly did they know about you? Is it specific? How private was this information that they knew about him? That obviously wasn't detailed in a book. Did he actually tell Barker what these guys knew about him? I wonder. Hmm. Or is that just maybe something that was kind of tossed in for a little bit of added intrigue maybe by Or Barker? he just doesn't want other people to know these private things. So he's just saying, I'm not going to tell you what yeah, That is, could be it's... too. But he's not. The, that's not the only report that I've seen of the men in black hmm. doing that, giving hmm. this this private information. Now, 
if this were to happen nowadays, I'd be more inclined to believe and and err on the side of what's a government agency because every one of us has one of these. I was going to say, or Facebook, someone from Facebook. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got a a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a a smart TV. Most people anyway. And we we know these things are listening to us at all times and and they're recording all this stuff too, which is awesome. So it's pretty easy to see how nowadays people can know information about you that you thought was Mm -hmm. private, that you thought nobody would know back then yeah. in the 50s and the 60s even, you know even in the 70s and 80s how did when people were having these encounters and having these different interactions with these men in black how how would they know some of this information yeah just just weird just something to think about so what do you so far i mean just based off just a couple of things that we've talked about do you have any idea what something like this could be i don't know I- are you are you thinking secret government agency, maybe trying to cover up UFOs and their existence? The thoughts that go through back. my mind are people just messing with other people, but how does that explain way back in time? Like, are these the original trollers? Like, I don't think that's likely. Then you think, okay, if it's not somebody pranking other people, trying to cause a commotion about stuff, is it something that's real? But I, I kind of, I'm more interested about like, what is their, like, what is their point? What, do, what are they trying to do? If they don't want people coming out about seeing UFOs, why is that? And is it for a really good reason? Or is it for selfish reasons? Like, you know, like they don't want certain people or beings exposed. Or is it because we get ourselves into trouble with that and they're trying to help us? I don't know. Could be any one of those things, really. And I would lean more towards another dimension or inner earth. And I mentioned before, we talked about the show Fringe. And they have the observers. And it's weird because we saw them. We're like, oh, they kind of look like men in black. And they were pale, no hair, wearing all black. But these people were observers. But why would observers if that was what they were here to do why would they talk to people and involve themselves so i don't know it yeah it's, it's bizarre it's I definitely don't, bizarre i i don't are they from the government i don't know it I, seems totally like a government thing to do to people <laughs> yeah see that's that's why like i the more i think about it the more i'm inclined to believe that it was some kind of government agency because especially around this time where you have these flying saucer sightings and, and people seeing them everywhere. And you've got the Hollywood, again, Hollywood putting out movies. So, and we know how I heavily know involved in. Though. I think it's more of like a deep state kind of thing. Like one of those. That's government. Mm, Still not government. Quite, not quite government though. I think just outside of that, like not necessarily deep state, but like this underground, like. Like a secret group yeah. of some kind. That's, yeah. I mean, that could be too. I don't know. I would lean towards something along those lines, though, because there's some there's some stuff that doesn't add up. Like, again, how would they know private information about certain people? I mean, they can't be spying on everybody, especially back then. Or or did they have the technology that they have now back then? I don't know. I mean... The, I'd believe it. I, yeah, you never know. But I, I just would tend to believe that it would was maybe a disinformation-type group that was out there that was trying to cause confusion because of... I mean, maybe maybe these saucers were just government issued craft. They were just trying exactly, and they were just trying to 
confuse everybody. Maybe 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 it was a social experiment, and they're just trying to cause hysteric panic yeah. in the public. I, I don't know. Who knows? And and that's something that I actually just kind of thought of as I'm as I'm talking here aloud. It, was that just a big social experiment, like a psyop, where they they're sending out these people, they're making them dress in black because I mean it's universally considered like an ominous look, right? And they're maybe some of them they're shaving their eyebrows, mm-hmm. they're shaving their head, they're shaving their hair, maybe painting scars on some of them, just to just to kind of make them look as ominous and eerie and scary as possible, and then maybe having them act in a certain way to to throw people off and to scare people. It could just all be them messing with people and just cause, like, trying to see how much of a panic they can cause. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's the great thing about this. We don't know. All we can do is speculate and theorize. Unless somebody who does really truly know wants to come by and tell us. Yeah. Chances of that happening. That's not going to happen. Please. But We're probably going to get visited now. Hi, if you're listening, men in black. We would love to talk to you, yes. maybe on camera. Wouldn't that yeah. be something? Oh, that'd I'll be, be a, cookies. That'd be a get, right? That'd be <laughs> a hell of a get. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, 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 that's what I lean towards. I, I would say it's got to be something along those lines, just a, a psyop. That's, that's what I'm it leaning. It wouldn't shock me. That's what I'm leaning towards. Now, I've got another cool Men in Black story, again, from the book by Gray Barker, The Secret Terror Among Us. Now, this story, this the, this one was kind of cool. Well, he he says in his book, I love it, he prefaces this whole story by saying it's terrifying and scary. And if you must put the book down now, he will understand. He was very dramatic. He was very theatrical with his writing. Good for him. All right, so this case involves an MD, a 58-year-old family physician of the Portland, Maine area, who treated a witness claiming to have been teleported by a UFO. Dr. Herbert Hopkins employed hypnosis in his treatment of patient David Stevens, who was complaining of after effects as a result of the strange encounter. During the treatments, the physician recorded a number of audio tapes of the sessions. Although the teleportation incident is itself one of the most interesting cases on record, let's pass over this and talk about what happened to Dr. Hopkins as a result of his relationship with the patient. So this whole UFO thing involved teleportation. It was a pretty famous case from back then, but we're not going to talk about that now. In September 1976, Dr. Hopkins' family was at a movie, leaving him alone in the house. A telephone caller identified himself as an officer of a New Jersey UFO group who wanted to talk with him about the Stevens case. Ordinarily, he would not have admitted a stranger into his home without checking, for recently there had been a great deal of crime in his neighborhood. He told Dr. Schwartz that he invited the caller to drop by, probably because he was bored without the family at home and because of his intense interest in his patient's experiences. Now, I should have said, I apologize. Eric, uh, Dr. Berthold Eric Schwartz is uh, a psychiatrist and he's studied the UFO mystery uh, extensively, according to Barker here. And this guy is, Schwartz is who Dr. Hopkins related his experiences to. So now this is Dr. Hopkins telling Dr. Schwartz about his experience. Quote, As I turned on my outside light, I saw my visitor coming up the stairs to the small porch. Although I did not see his parked car or consider how he could have arrived at my house so quickly, I remember that at the time, I did not think it strange, probably believing he had made the call from a payphone. But since then, I've determined that the nearest phone booth is several blocks away. 
He walked through the door without even introducing himself, but I never thought of this rudeness until later because I was taken aback by his odd clothing. The best way to describe his attire is by comparing him with an old-fashioned undertaker with the traditional somber clothing. My visitor wore almost entirely black, trousers, jacket, tie, shoes, and a derby, the only contrast being a white shirt. He appeared thin, and his estimated 5 foot 10 inch height accentuated this thinness. Although the suit didn't fill out his arms and legs, it otherwise fitted in perfectly, like clothing you see on department store mannequins. The crease in his trousers was razor sharp. The entire getup was immaculate, just as if he had stepped fresh from his tailor's shop. I noticed that the crease in his trousers did not flatten, but still stood out very sharply even when he sat down at my invitation. Although the clothing was odd indeed, there was something else about him that was even odder. Only when he removed his black hat did I realize he seemed to be completely hairless, with no eyebrows or eyelashes, nor trace of a beard, even though he appeared to be in his late 30s or early 40s. His small nose and eyes were set low. His vivid red mouth contrasted with a chalky white complexion. So... He's telling this other psychiatrist about his experience, Mm -hmm. right? Without further ceremony, the visitor asked Dr. Hopkins what he knew of the Stevens case in a weird sing-song monotone. Although his English pronunciation was flawless and without accent, he seemed to find it difficult to put phrases or sentences together and communicated with a string of isolated words that were difficult to understand in their disconnected contexts. He hardly opened his mouth, which appeared like a slit, and Dr. Hopkins did not see his teeth. He had a receding chin, and his head seemed to blend into his collar. In fact, Dr. Hopkins observed that his head seemed to be fastened rigidly to his body, for not once did he nod or move it. Next, the visitor told Hopkins to put his hand into his pocket and that he would find two coins. Dr. Hopkins did so and withdrew a dime and a penny. The MIB told him to put one of the coins back and to place the other in the palm of his hand. Dr. Hopkins complied and kept the penny. Look closely at the coin, not at me. As he did so, he was amazed to see the penny first turn a bright silver color, then light blue, then blurred. In a few seconds, it vanished from his hand. The visitor next asked if if his host knew Barney Hill, who along with his wife Betty was abducted in a UFO in New England. When Hopkins replied that he didn't know him, he was asked if he knew how Hill had died. I have heard it was a heart attack, replied the physician. You are not correct, for Barney Hill had no heart. It vanished, just like that coin in your hand. Damn. The MIB followed his frightening pronouncement with a threat that the physician would suffer the same fate if he did not destroy his complete notes and tapes on the Stevens case. He didn't say he was coming back, but I got the impression that he would have some way of knowing whether or not I complied with his order. Then, a new development puzzled Dr. Hopkins. Like an incredible wind-up or battery-operated toy, the strange visitor began to run down. Now, this is Hopkins' testimony picking up again to Dr. Schwartz. His speech began to slow, and as he rose from the chair to his feet, he appeared weak and unsteady. I must depart, he suddenly told me. My energy is running low. I opened the door for him and he exited with a stagger. He clung unsteadily to the railing of the steps, feeling for them with his feet one at a time. He seemed to be both mentally and physically disoriented, but with a desperate urge and hurry to depart. 
I felt relieved when I saw a light in the driveway, evidently from a car that was to pick him up. Like many people finding themselves confronted with completely unexpected and puzzling experiences, I did not feel the full impact of the visit until minutes, even hours later. I realized that the light in the driveway was much brighter than that of ordinary automobile headlights. The man in his departure had not moved toward the car, but had walked in a different direction from which he came. His route of departure was impossible because it was blocked by a high and dense hedge. When I looked back toward the car lights, they had disappeared, leaving me, my visitor, and the entire area in darkness. Now, when his family returned from the movie about two hours later, they found Dr. Hopkins nervous and agitated. When he told them of the visit, they urged him to do as the MIB had requested. Hopkins first erased the tapes, then threw them into the fireplace and burned them, along with some printed UFO literature he had collected. Hmm. Interesting, right? It's weird. So are they robots? I don't know. Now, another encounter that I read about was of a family getting a visit from one of these men in black and similar description, except for the hairless part. Mm. And the one thing that they noticed that was odd about him was that he had some kind of a wire they noticed coming out of they could see a wire going up his pant leg out of his sock. Kind of kind of a weird detail that was noticed, but not just by one person, but the entire family noticed this strange wire kind of sticking out of this guy's leg. Maybe he was recording the conversation. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe, like you said, maybe it was a robot or an automaton of some mm-hmm. kind, a cyborg maybe. Who knows? That's if that was real. But yeah. again, this was a story that was given to Barker by this noted psychiatrist. The thing with all these stories is they could just be stories. You don't know. And it's hard because some of these you can't really investigate. You you can't. Right. It's what somebody says. It makes it difficult to really know what it is. Yeah, that's that's the thing with all this stuff is that these are stories that are in books or that you have seen on TV in a documentary or heard on a podcast or heard on the radio. I mean, unless you've actually experienced something like this yourself. And even then, you have to question because of so many people like a Gray Barker or a Jim Mosley who are into perpetrating hoaxes mm-hmm. on people. And I mean, there's there's a lot of hoaxers out there. Yeah. I, I, I so don't think knows? it could all be hoaxes, though. I don't think so either. I don't. I, I'm not, I don't mean to discount everybody's story, yeah. but it's just hard to believe some of the stuff that you hear. And again, it's the ones with the the odd details. Those are the ones that I tend to believe are a little bit more credible. I guess. I mean, you you get a story like that from a a doctor yeah. who was treating a patient and then went and saw a psychiatrist and confided his story to him you know get you know it's kind of why would these guys lie i mean maybe they did maybe they made the whole thing i mean they were just lying about it who knows mm-hmm. but you tend to believe people that are in that line of work that have that kind of a credentialed background yeah. they have that kind of respect from society they there. have a good reputation exactly yeah. so yeah it's kind of it's, I don't bizarre. Know. it's weird yeah so you're thinking government possibly i don't know if government it's almost like You're it's either secret, secret organization, organization of some kind? and is that secret organization? Maybe they're from another dimension or they're from inner earth. It could be everything all in one. I don't know. 
Could it be a cult of some kind, maybe? But how would they know the stuff that they know? Like, just a cult. Maybe it's because of how we think of cults. Yeah. I I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they are. If they're real, if they're They're not. They're intriguing. I'll tell you what they're not. They're not what the movies say they are. Mm -mm. No. (laughs) Or maybe they are. Maybe they are just all aliens from a different plane of existence in there who knows good for them if that's the case case. now there is like i said there's so much different information so many different stories what books would you recommend if people want to read more about men in black i'm gonna say even though i haven't finished it yet i would definitely go with casebook on the men in black by jim keith uh i know you can pick it up on amazon still jim keith was uh he was a conspiracy author mm-hmm. and he, he wrote a lot of good stuff and he's very, he footnotes all of his stories. He footnotes all of his research. So to me, that's, it's more of a reference, I guess. And I, I would say he would be probably the one that I would recommend if he had to pick just one, but the great Barker book is great just because it does have a lot of stories. Uh, again, Mothman Prophecies with John Keel, mm-hmm. even though some of the stories now you got to kind of call into question because Barker and Mosley may have been messing with them. And I say may have been because maybe they we weren't. Know. We don't know yeah. for sure. We just know some some of the friends of those gentlemen, some of their compadres from back in the day have come out and said that. But mm-hmm. I, again, who knows if that was the case. There's there's a couple of other uh, good books, too, uh, by Nick Redfern. Um, he did Men in Black, Personal Stories, and Eerie Adventures. Uh, he also did The Real Men in Black, Evidence, Famous Cases, and True Stories of These Mysterious Men and Their Connection to UFO Phenomenon. And he also did The Black Diary, MIB, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Mm. All pretty good. Yeah. Again, I haven't, I've, I've thumbed through most of these but haven't actually started digging into and reading them. Like I said, just kind of flip through, read a paragraph or two here or there just to kind of get an idea of what they were about, but not enough to really talk much about them. But yeah, if I had to recommend one, it would definitely be Casebook on the Men in Black by Jim Keith. Excellent. Yeah. And I'm going to finish that one up. We're probably going to do another story about this in the future. Eventually, yeah. Maybe come up with some more current Mm. sightings or stories and maybe think of new theories of what these things could be. Something's always coming up, like with all this stuff. Yeah, it's like I mean, there's always something coming out where that makes you think differently. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like I said, we we talked about you and I had talked about the whole John Keel experience with yeah. these Men in Black, and then a week later, I found out. Oh, well, maybe maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it was just he was just getting pranked. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you have know, to just question everything. Pretty much, yeah. Trust but verify is probably a, yeah. a good way of, of approaching a lot of this stuff. If you're if you want to believe a story, that's great. Just verify it yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't believe. It's it's hard for me to believe anything anymore. It's there's just so much. And we fake. want to. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much stuff out there that's just not real. Yeah. But what are you gonna do? Do you have any other thoughts about the Men in Black? Oh, I have thoughts, but I think we'd be here for days. So <laughs> fair enough. So. I guess this is a good time, a uh, good a time as any to sign off. Mm-hmm. If you would like to reach us on our social media, we have a Twitter account at Home Record Pod. We have an Instagram too, Home Record Podcast, and our website, homerecordpodcast.com, where you can also go on our forum. S- exactly. Thank you. Go on the forum, become a member, post on there. I'm on there all the time. Yeah. 
I'm always posting stuff. Yeah, at first you're like, we'll be on there. We don't know when, once in a while, and now you're on every day. Yeah. So join. Yeah, join. Interact with me. Tell me I'm crazy. Tell me I'm not crazy enough. And of course, if you haven't already, please go on over to iTunes, hit that subscribe button. It's free, doesn't cost you anything, and then you get our podcast the day that it comes out. You'll never miss an episode. You'll never Mm -hmm. miss a show. And when you get a minute to, if you don't mind, just hitting the five stars. Give us a five-star review. Helps people to find the show. Helps us to increase visibility. Helps us to grow the audience, which we appreciate immensely. But if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can go on Stitcher. We're on Stitcher now. You can go Podbean anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be there. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere you get your podcasts. On that note, if there's nothing... Oh. The Paranormal Investigation. Paranormal investigation. Our we little mentioned adventure. It, we mentioned it earlier. We're yes. going to be doing that again at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. The date and the time will be announced in the future. I think we'll announce that next week. Next week? Yeah, let's we'll do, do it next, it next week. week. Okay, next week we'll give you the exact day and time. Yeah. And we'll be putting it all over our social mm-hmm. media as well so that you can follow us on there and see what's going on. Sounds good. All right. Until next time. I am the Golden Greek Alex Arion. I've been joined, as always, by my beautiful, lovely, amazing, gorgeous trophy wife, Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast. <laughs>